Hello, it's Brian Janikowski, Friday, January the 12th. For a welcome to our weekly investment podcast. I'm Christian Thwaites. I'm Emily Teigenvertz, and let's get started, Christian. So I want to address bonds first. Uh, what's going on with bonds? Uh, we saw yields climb above 2.5% this week. Um, you know, there are various factors that we can attribute this to, but I would love to hear your thoughts on um, what you think is going on. Okay. Um, well, we know coming into 2018 that the Fed is going to raise rates. They've pretty much laid out the timetable for that. Uh, it's somewhere between two uh, to four rates. So let's just call it three. And they'll probably do it uh, at a quarter end um, because that kind of gives them enough space from the last rise in December. And those coincide with when the Fed meets and subsequently has um, a a press conference. They don't have a press conference every meeting. So we know that's going to happen. What ha so what's happened in the last week is that there's been a little bit of concern that inflation is coming back, although today's CPI numbers didn't really support that. Why do people think CPI is coming back? Because I think basically the energy price has risen a bit and people are going to feel feed through to that. And then a couple of companies made some uh, wage increases, Walmart re increasing its minimum wage from, I think, uh, 10 to 11 or 11 to 12 dollars. So people think that's sort of pr a presage for a, a broader wage increase. I, I don't for a second. But uh, so the short end of the, of the curve came up a little bit. We had two-year rates go through 2% for the first time since 2008. And then the long-term rates went 10-year rates from about 250 to 260. That was the cue for a number of bond manager analysts to talk about break points, technical support points, cross points, essentially technical trading, where if that resistance level was breached, then the next level was going to be 265 and the bond market was over and we were, you know, there was no, there was no uh, air between that and, uh, and, and 3%. Now, I, I think all of this is, is really, really mistaken. And we've some of some of this is seasonal. Um, oh, and by the way, there was an unfounded rumor that China would reduce its treasury holdings, which, when people talk about that, is 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 bizarre because I mean, tr China runs a trade surplus. It exchanges goods for dollars. It has to hold the dollar somewhere, even if it exchanges it back into renminbi. Someone else has to buy the dollars. So, What's the seasonal aspect of it? Oh, sorry. Yeah, the, the seasonal aspect of it is. Um, the, you get some pre-funding of uh, defined benefit and pension plans coming on in January and February. So, mm -hmm. uh, sorry, in, de in December, and and so the and so the buying per the buying sort of momentum drops off in the, in a little bit of the new year. So that's really what happens, and it's the same with inflation inflation bonds because inflation tends to ch tick up a little bit in January February. So anyway, put all those together, and we we got the ten year bond finishing the week at about two fifty three. But as we've discussed here. We, we can see it moving to 3%, but my God, it's going to take some time to get there. And, uh, and I don't think that that means any material uh, capital and certainly not total return loss if you're in a 10-year treasury or something, something similar. So I think there's a lot of noise that we've been, we've been hearing about this week. A couple of bond managers who like to be in the limelight came out and, and said sort of fairly, fairly uh, you know, headline-worthy and ended up being headline-cringing things. But... 
I, I think we're in relatively good shape and we shouldn't be overly concerned about the 10-year and it's more of a flattening of the curve that's going on rather than a, a, a bare steepening, which means that people think that uh, the, you know, the bond market uh, rally is well and truly over. And a point that you mention uh, quite often is that we should say that, yes, you know, bond rates or uh, interest rates have risen in terms of the yield coming from bonds, but they're still at historically very low, um, uh, very low, a very low place. So, you know, even rising, you know, to 2.5 percent, you know, where where does that put us? What what yield? Where does that put us in historical context? Well, that's a really good question. And, uh, you know, it's it it's in line with rates for the last 10 years. It's low compared to rates since, say, 1981, when the Volcker Fed put a lot of tightening in place. It's very low compared to the uh, you know, late 70s. It's about the same as it was in the early 50s. It's a little bit higher than the 1929 mm-hmm. to, 9- to 2018 average. It's about in line with the 550-year average. So uh, I really resist the, kind of the, the concept of normalize or normal rates. Because it really depends: is the economy growing, not growing? Is it is are the productivity increases coming through? Is the labor force growing? Are there more people working? Are they getting wage increases? And so all these sort of drive drive that sort of natural rate of interest. And you know, again, as we've talked here, I think there's a there's there's a very big demand for high quality fixed income investments, especially. I mean, for a number of reasons, but simply put, there's baby boomers sort of you know. <laughs> my age and a little bit older, you know, moving into retirement and they're trading equities to fixed income. So, you know, there's this big boom which pushed up the equity market, they could say for demographic reasons in the 80s and 90s, and now they're switching to lower risk investments. So there's a lot of, you know, there's still a lot of, uh, you know, de- demand out there for, you know, for treasuries. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't really, I think it's a waste of time to talk about the normal rates of mm. rates. I think it's uh, you know, what are we at now? 255. What could it get to in the next year? As high as three. Is that still a good rate, total rate of return, you know, for a, for a, for a treasury bond fund? Yes. So I, I you know, I, I, there's all this other discussion about the end of the bear market is, uh, is not very helpful. Given all of this talk, um, where do you think we are in the economic cycle? Because different, different markets seem to be priced for different um, periods in that economic cycle. Where do you think we're at? Well, I, I, I think we're sort of, you know, nearer the end than the beginning. But uh, remember, this has been a very, very weak recovery from two thousand and eight. I mean, by every measure, normally if you get that deeper recession, you do get a, a you know, a kickback. So if you get a, a nominal, if you, well, we had a decline in nominal GDP, which is very rare. But real GDP decline of say one and a half two percent, you get a snapback of three or four a few quarters later. We never had that. You know, we've just been in the two percent GDP range, pretty much stuck there until the last most couple of recent quarters. And I don't, I'm not even sure they're sustainable. So it ha- it's been a, you know, an odd part of the cycle. Essentially, economic cycles stop for one reason only, and that's because interest rates get get hiked up, hiked up, not gradually moved up, but really hiked up quick. So they get choked off by essentially the Fed. And I'm not sure the Fed has talked about raise right, uh, r- r- rising slowly, but uh, you know, I don't think they're about to sort of choke the economy by pushing the Fed funds rate up to three or four percent. So 
you know, we, we've seen it in stocks as well. I mean, airlines have been ripping. That's normally an early cycle, mm -hmm. business, mining, uh, energy a little bit lagging. Um, you know, retail consumer, yeah, manufacturing has been done really well. You know, Boeing exhibit number one. Mm -hmm. So you know, uh, no, there's really nothing I don't think which is saying this is a classic cycle. I think it's very, very far from being a classic cycle. And uh, you know, we're still in this sort of rather temperate zone of doing okay, one quarter slightly better than another. But I wouldn't say you know the economy is uh, strong or even operating you know to to its full capacity. So. So I, you know, I, I, I think the cycle could, you know, this particular economic upturn could uh, could extend for a while just because it's been so weak. So in light of that, then, if this is is not kind of a um, normal, so to speak, economic cycle, should people just kind of throw out the playbook in terms of, of, of watching where we are in asset allocation, in terms of where we are in that economic cycle? I think you always have to keep an eye on asset allocation, and uh, you know, after a year like last year, if you were a sixty forty growth in income investor with equity and bonds, then if you did nothing, then your portfolio probably more like looks like seventy thirty or even seventy five twenty five, just because the equities have been so strong. So I do think you still need to kind of keep a keep a view on that. But I think you know that the classic cycle of you move to bonds, you move to equities, you move to you know, late cycle equities, you lose to, uh, um, you know, raw materials, you move overseas and then all back again. You know, I, that, that, that I think is, uh, that, that, that playbook's not, not, not justified. I want to come back to Berkshire Hathaway. We spoke mm -hmm. about the A shares last week, um, crossing 300,000. Uh, but we did see uh, two possible successors to Warren Buffett. Two vice chairs were named. Um, one from the, the oil side and uh, one from the, the industrials. Um, can you give us a little bit of background on who these two individuals are and what this means for Berkshire Hathaway going forward? One of the nice things about Berkshire Hathaway is it, it CEOs tend to sort of keep out of the, keep out of the limelight. I mean, Warren Buffett's fairly, uh, fairly media savvy, but he's not, you know, out there all the time. Like Zuckerberg, just, you know, can't seem to get enough of themselves. So we don't, know, we haven't seen actually. It's Ajit Jain who I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right from the reinsurance side, okay. uh, and the other guy is Greg Abel That's from right. uh, from from the energy side, which is uh, so they've both got good reputations. They're not sort of you're not going to see them on TV every thirty seconds, uh, but they've got you know, really kind of solid performance numbers. So I, I think Warren Buffett's done a very smart thing. He's he's taken the succession plan, which for sure was known by him and Charlie Munger and probably by most of the board, and made it a little bit more public. And uh, I don't, and I, it's not like what happened with GE uh, last year or 15 years ago when it handed over from Welch, where it becomes a very public sort of uh, boxing match between six or seven guys who then slug it out <laughs> to, to get the final nod. This is going to be a lot better handled. Um, and so uh, the market, I think, liked that because these the two very good experienced, good reputation people, and it, uh, it, it, it kind of moves the, the governance and the succession issues up a little bit. The, the really the interesting thing about Berkshire right now is, um, and we show a chart just how well it's done. It's just unbelievable, the 300... Twelve thousand dollar share that was at sixty seven dollars in nineteen seventy six. So if you'd put 
twenty-five thousand dollars into a in, into uh, into a single share right now, you 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 know you'd you'd be worth about one hundred and twenty million dollars. <laughs> it's quite, it's unbelievable. But no, the the we did a quick um, analysis of their income tax. So right now, their their cap their corporate tax rate is about twenty-seven percent. So all things being equal, that twenty-seven drops to twenty. And that kicks up the earnings per share by 11%. So they don't have to do anything on the operating side for 2018 to be an 11% increase in earnings per share. So uh, that's a kind of a gimme. And, uh, and and I think that sort of justifies this recent move from about 280 to, to, three, to 314, actually, it closed today. So, you know, good news on the Berkshire front. And so both of those individuals are expected to maintain kind of the strategic soul of Warren Buffett going forward. Um, in terms of how they run Berkshire Hathaway, I think so. Um, I mean, they've they've been working with him for decades. Uh, you know, they're certainly imbued with the Berkshire spirit. They must have had dozens of offers to go run public companies. They've clearly not been interested in taking them. So yeah, I think they'll do it. But you know, with with Berkshire, the breakup value, I'm convinced, is much higher than the market value. Just because if you get companies like Geico came came to the market uh, as standalone stocks, they they get a, you know they they would I think be very highly sought up uh, individual individual stocks. So if it stays together with this group, that's good news. If for some reason they de sort of de segregate the balance sheet in the, the operating companies and, and divest, then I, that's all good too. I think that's I don't think that's likely. Finally, we are on the precipice of another earnings season. Can you just kind of tee us up to, to what we should be looking for um, around this earnings season? Do we expect them to, to, be, to be positive? Um, and to what degree? Yeah, they'll be positive. And I think because uh, they're going to come off the back of, uh, you know, first quarter last year was about 14%, second quarter 10%, third quarter 6% because of hurricanes. So there'll be some of that bounce back just just by getting getting out of the way of the uh, of the third quarter downfall. And then cap gains, I'm sorry, the capital, capital um, corporation tax de decrease and a general sort of positive outlook. Um, I, I think CEOs will be positive without being committal. <laughs> They're... They're not, they're not necessarily going to say announce big buyback programs. They'd be foolish if they did because this 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 uh, this reduction in capital gains is not really meant to go to um, go to just share buybacks. But I think they'll generally be you know pretty positive, um, and the numbers are going to be pretty good. So watch what they say, um, and and then generally how they talk about the you know, the prospect, especially the ones with overseas. Earnings, I think they're going to announce a, a good prospect just because we've seen strong growth in Europe and Japan and China. Very quickly, just to follow up on that, we had Walmart come out and say that they were going to increase wages due to the tax corporate tax cut. Then they promptly the next day said that they were going to be closing 63 stores and laying off all those workers. What do you make of that? <laughs> uh, yeah, the... the, the, the the probably the net effect on their wage bill is to, for it to go down. Is this just so, politics, or no? They're, they're, I think what the, yes, it's to some extent they're doing what a couple of companies did back in December, which is to announce. Um, actually, very few have announced a pay increase, and uh, 
you know, but but some of them are announced bonuses. I think AT&T was one, and there was a couple of others that we talked about. Notice, whenever they say bonuses, that's just one-off. It doesn't sort of put a, increase their costs in any way. And the thing we don't know with the Walmart, it sounds good, 10 to 11, but you don't know if their hours were kept the same. Mm. Um, you know, I hate to say it, but you really uh, can't really take these guys at face value. Um, you know, if, if you were... If you were 10 bucks at 30 hours, but then now they're saying, you know, it's 11 bucks for 20 hours, that doesn't really help people's spending. And, you know, last I looked, you know, Walmart was, was doing fine, but I don't think, uh, you know, the demand and traffic has been so high that, uh, that they want to put in a permanent you know, broad-based wage increase. So I think this kind of helps a little bit at the margin, um, you know, whether it feeds through into a higher net wage pay uh, oh that the, the the tax package will certainly make a difference to to people's to take home pay. That's probably a little bit more than just the the, the straight out increase but i don't i don't think it's going to be that big well thank you christian thanks to you for listening welcome now here's the disclosure please note the discussion of our investments investment strategy including our research investment process represents our investments investment strategy data's commentary subject to change that notice we cannot assure the type of investment discussed in this commentary without forming any other investment strategy in the future we'll be guaranteed that such investments will present the best or attractive risk-adjusted investment in the future for general information purposes only references to an individual security should be construed as a recommend should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security Securities mentioned in this commentary and several of the successful and unsuccessful investments by us and do not represent all the securities we have purchased or the recommended. Although we deem reliable the sources of statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements, numerical data, or numerical data, past performance, no indication of future results.